Well, let me welcome Dr. Morosi Lishwele, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Johannesburg Institute for Advanced Study at UJ. Uh, Dr. Lishwele, good morning to you and thank you for your time this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an incredible legacy that Thomas Sankara has left behind. And in many ways, when you just listen to that package of the interventions that he was able to bring in in the short time that he was leader, um, many speak to the fact that he was ahead of, of his time. He was a leader that really had vision for what his country could be, but I suppose as a Pan-Africanist, what this continent could be as well. That is correct indeed. I think um, you are spot on when you say he was indeed ahead of his time. Certainly on, on many aspects, amongst others, uh, is the fact that some would, you know, in contemporary times describe him as, as a pan-Africanist feminist because, you know, he, he led a lot of interventions which prioritized women's well-being beyond just the cosmetics. Um, he appointed the first female cabinet minister who happened to be um, a lady that I, I had a good discussion with during my interviews when I was there, mm. uh, Madam Janine P. Draper. She was a, a, a mayor and a minister. Um, he was also, you know, forward thinking in terms of the environment. Just now, I think in your previous interview, you were talking about, you know, wastage of food and all that. And, and um, you know, Burkina Faso being a small, arid country in the Sahel, of course, has issues of, of you know, desertification. So he made sure that he planted trees, about 10 million of them. Um, he made sure that there were serious interventions, um, farming strategies that ensured that the environment was taken care of. So all those interventions at the time were, were quite, you know, forward-thinking, and he was indeed ahead of his time. Mm. Let's talk about your own personal interest and personal fascination with Thomas Sankara. Where did that begin? Uh, that began, I think, uh, around 2008, nine thereabouts, uh, during my undergraduate studies. I, in passing, heard about him. Uh, I think, incidentally, from a very controversial figure, some might argue, perhaps not, uh, in the name of Angelen Pitamo. Um, and at the time, it was when they were still pushing the, um, what was called September Nathan Inviso organization, and, and amongst others, one of the you know the, the leading tribes was that they they were Sankara's party and they were espousing for what they termed a Sankara oath. So what that meant was that if you join them, and one of the main principles that drive that the organization was that um, you're going to live and abide by some of the principles of Thomas Sankara. Key amongst those being that if you claim to be a public servant. Uh, be it a president or an official, um, say at such offices, you're all bound by law and by this agreement that you're going to sign, that you're going to use public services. So so um, if, if for instance, you're heading the Department of Education, your kids are, will be obliged to go to a public school and, and, and the like. And so that's what initially sparked my interest. And I thought, you know, I'm almost done with my undergrad. I've never heard of this figure. And I started digging, picking up, you know, Saksankar until I 
decided, you know what, I'm going to do a thorough systematic study on Thomas Angara for my PhD. And part of that process has led you to Burkina Faso, where, as you were saying, you've spoken to um, some of those who would have known him and who would have been impacted by his decisions. Before we get there, however, the name of Thomas Sankara is often evoked, particularly by the political formations, especially those uh, representing young people in this country. Uh, it's not uncommon to have uh, an EFF event that takes place without the mention of Thomas Sankara. You will see it in the ANC Youth League events. You will see it in, you know, the uh, in in the various young people representatives. What? Why do you think that is, that the, there's this association, that there is something about Sankara that resonates with the young people of South Africa today? So... Um, beyond what may seem like um, a simplistic response to your question, we should be the obvious, which is that uh, he was obviously very young. The youngest at this at, at the time, he was only 33 when he, he took power in Burkina Faso. Um, and some often make a mistake of saying he was 34, but technically he was 33 because um, what it can be the coup took place in August the 4th. Uh, Whereas he was born in December 1949, so if you do you know, proper calculations, you see that he was actually 33. Um, but that aside, I think what shows him, what makes him an interesting character and figure, um, and and stalwart who who's conventional to show to Amy, uh, you name Kwame Nkrumah, Curtis Lumumba, America Cabral, and the like, is that over and above his age. He was very, you know, anti-imperialistic, um, very principled, hence they decided to name the country Burkina Faso, the land of the upright people from upper water. Um, even from the family members, people thought they would benefit from being from his friends. They, they, they told me that they did not receive a single favor from him. You know, a fascinating anecdote was that um, there was a, there was a project in, in his community where he was living, and um, there was going to be a tab to be opened for the community. Everyone was hoping, including the family members, that that would be, you know, a short distance from their house. But in fact, it was fairness because he said, I don't want you to seem like, you know, I'm catering for you only. And, you know, that there are countless instances where he, he showed that he wasn't about the trauma, he was about service. And so I think that's what resonates the most to say, here's this young leader, you know, he's, he's moving against the green, he's introducing huge structural changes. You know, within a period of four years, Burkina Faso moved from uh, being a beggar country to being food self-sufficient, and that was confirmed uh, by, by, the, by the UN officials. And so I think it's, it's those pragmatic, you know, real-life changes he introduced that make him attractable to modern-day leaders. Unfortunately, the the state of Burkina Faso has taken, you know, a, a turn for for the worst. When deciding who to speak to about Thomas Sankara, how did you go about mm. that process? And you know, uh, how did you determine this is somebody who will actually give me a true account of who this man was? 
Indeed. Um, as, as you can imagine, one always um, takes serious precautions not to, to be too biased because that way, you know, you might not end up finding the real detailed story behind um, the colossal figure, Thomas Angaro. Uh, but, but the methodologically, the approach was such that I was going to use what they termed snowball technique. So I, I knew a couple of people there. Um, a few academics, a few people in uh, in the NGO sectors, and I was linked to some of his former colleagues. I think I interviewed about six or seven of, of the MPs that worked with him directly, the ones that are still alive, and it was through those people and, and other colleagues at the University of Agadugu that I was able then to, to be directed to um, people in the civil society space and in teachers, uh, amongst others, and also traditional traditional leaders, because um, amongst others, he he is accused of of being heavy-handed when it came to uh, traditional leaders, and not many of, of them liked him because of the land question. He completely misanalyzed the land. Um, traditional leaders did not pay for electricity. They had so many, you know, tax holidays. He, he then said, "Well, everyone should be equal," and and so. Um, that was the overall approach. We're in conversation with Dr. Morosi Leshwele. He's a postdoctoral research fellow at UJ, and he, of course, taking a particular interest in Thomas Sankara. I want us to explore some of those uh, things that have been labeled as criticisms against Sankara. You know, mm. we, we heard earlier that there would be a crackdown on unionists, that teachers who would strike would be fired. So uh, I want us to get a picture of, of that other side of, of, of how he handled and ran uh, his state affairs. And of course, there's still the big question which is being grappled with currently. Who <coughs> killed Thomas Sankara? Who was behind the killing of Thomas Sankara? We'll continue that conversation after this. Hathimo Sasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue our conversation reflecting on the life and times of Thomas Sankara. Uh, Dr. Morosi Lishwele is our guest on this matter. Dr. Lishwele, uh, to, to the extent that there are these criticisms leveled against Sankara about how he dealt with unionists, uh, dealt with, with striking teachers, is that an indication, you think, of the the extent to which he may not have been uh, fully democratic or may not have been fully encompassing perhaps of of dissent within his government and within uh, how things were run in the state no most certainly um he like any other person any other leaders was not immune to those pitfalls um and one of those which which was quite unfortunate was that soon after he he took power uh, was that uh, his organization, uh, the political party, basically they banned the other competing political parties. There was a very thin political space. Um, you know, that's definitely one of the red flags that, that came up. And, and of course, the obvious question would be, had he stayed in power for, say, 10 years or more, what would have happened to his legacy? How would have things changed in, in Burkina Faso? Um what some of, of, of his weaknesses are the fact that he was not too security conscious. And, and by that I mean, 
policies every every Wednesday of every week. Um, he would go to the city center of Burkina Faso, which is Wakaduku, and people would line up there and question him directly and shake their hands and have a conversation about how things are going in the country. Mm. And he was warned many a time, even by his compound himself, uh, that you know that idea was not too too tenable. It could compromise his, his, his security. But because he wanted to be closer to people, he wanted to feel and hear what people are saying, he did that, you know, uh, even without thinking in the long term. Mm. Um, but also on the same subject of, of him not being security conscious is the fact that just before he was killed, a few months before he was assassinated, he got intelligence um, advice from uh, the Cubans, from his own intelligence agency, saying um, we suspect there's a condition that Sankara is plotting to overthrow you. Um, Compaori is, 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 is threatening to overthrow him. Yes, Compaori. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. And so he, he then said, at this at this rate, I, I feel like the cyclist is going up up a hill. I, there's no way I'm going to stop cycling. And if Compaori is going to kill me, he has already killed me because he's a very close friend of mine. And I think it's it's crucial that you your your listeners bear in mind that not only were they comrades in arms mm. and uh, was Compaori's his right hand man, they were literally siblings in in the sense that Compaori grew up in his family house. Uh, at some point, he was raised there, and then of course they went to military school and then became you know closer friends. So it wasn't just two comrades who were working together; they were mm. in essence brothers. So the betrayal um, then... And of course, there are yeah. plenty of lessons to draw there because, you know, African history is rhetoric with, you know, close comrades who would assassinate you from Lumumba to, to Nkrumah and, and many others. The betrayal itself must must have been something so devastating for him, even just based off that, uh, those intelligence reports that, that, that he was receiving. What mm. is the response of the people of Burkina Faso to 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 these events? In in the sense that what do they believe happened, and what do they believe led to to Thomas Sankara being killed? Yes, um, of course, you know, one would be tempted to simplistically say, you know, it was jealousy or, or any other ulterior motives from Blaise Compaoré's side, but. Um, I'm of the view that we can't really restrict that to internal political matters within Burkina Faso. Um, Sandara was a big figure, and that is also answers your earlier question about why he is revered four years later. And that is because he was a huge figure, not just in, in West Africa or in the continent. Um, France, um, Belgium, the U.S., uh, even Libya, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, they, they knew that he was a rising force to be reckoned with. You know, he didn't mean his words when he was saying that he wanted an independent Africa. And that is why in in, um, in July 1987, when he was addressing the African Union in Ethiopia, he rallied and tried to load the African leaders there to say, we need to take a united stand and repudiate all colonial debt. Because if I'm going to do that alone, um, to more than the next time there's a conference, the following I won't be here. And indeed, he wasn't. It, it wasn't to be. Two months later, he was assassinated. Um, 
and some argue that the speech he made at the AU conference was him signing his deathbed because he was literally challenging the former colonizers. Um, and, and so this, the sentiment was that Sangara was, was beyond Burkina Faso, mm. Sangara was beyond the Sahel region, and of course the fact that he was making immediate changes in nearby countries like Ivory Coast and Mali, the leaders there who were, you know, literally puppets of 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 terrorists of, um, of French, the French, were worried that their own citizens will will want the same for themselves and and rebel against them. And so they didn't want to see Sangara rule uh, that for one more day. What an incredible legacy. And and thank you so much for bringing it all to us. I wish we actually had an hour for this conversation, Dr. Morosi.